0: One of the reasons that we're spending uh, this time on this series about hope for healing is because in big ways and small ways, unintentionally and intentionally, human beings hurt one another. It's it's a reality that goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, and the violence and the uh, the brokenness that we see in the world is in part because of the fact that human beings are able to hurt one another. What are we going to do about that? Do we just endless, endlessly punish those who hurt others? Parents quickly learn that the difference between discipline and abuse is when punishment becomes The idea that I will punish them and make the children hurt until they stop. But children and adults both can become hardened to punishment. And then the pain and the hurt gets even worse. If we can't punish the the evildoers, if we can't punish those who make mistakes endlessly, then how is reconciliation even possible It's not without God's help. Some kind of change is required. Some sort of choice is required. And that's why we have been talking about these healing choices. We've looked at five of them to this point. First, we admit that we are not God. Then we trust that God cares for us. And do you see how these begin to build on one another and take us they're not just uh individual steps but they're a part they're steps on a path on a course so then when we learn that God cares for us he truly cares for us we're willing to commit our lives to him because we know how good he is we confess our faults because we know that that those those flaws those sins those faults That's what's damaging the relationship between us and God. And then we submit to God's changes. The objective has always been to be a people who are more like him. To put on holiness. To put on Christ. The five steps we've looked at so far have a lot to do with God and our relationship with God and the kind of people that we are striving to be, the kind of people that God wants us to be. But when we get to the sixth step, we find out that the path causes us to look outward and to repair relationships that have been broken by hurt. In John Baker's book, Life's Healing Choices, he words the sixth healing choice like this. I choose to evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or harm others. Now, this this healing choice has its basis in two of the Beatitudes. Beatitudes. When Jesus is preaching his, um, his Sermon on the Mount, I like to call it Jesus' first sermon. I don't know if it was actually his first sermon, but it's the first sermon that we run into, the first teaching of Jesus, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in that order. And what a wonderful opening word it is. When you think about it, this is his uh, inaugural address for the kingdom of God. And he lays out what we call the Beatitudes. And uh, I, I still don't really care for that word because I really don't know what it is. Uh, well, I do, but I don't, I don't, I don't use that. I mean, it's a, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a series of blessings. It's a series of statements. He starts out and he says, Happy are those, or God blesses those, or blessed are the ones... And if you look at the list, uh, by the way, this is why I think it being an attitude, that's something that we've got to change and aspire to, um, I don't really want to aspire to be the kind of person who's uh, poor in spirit and, and mourn. I figure that's the sort of thing that happens to you because of life happening to you and you get hurt. Jesus opens up with this to say, look, I'm not, I'm not calling you to be like this. No, the be like this comes later on in the sermon. Jesus is saying that it's the unlikeliest of people, the people that you think might be cursed, the people that you think life may have crushed. Aha, they are the ones who are blessed. Why? Because of the kingdom of God. Two of those he mentions in, in verse 7 and verse 9. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. The merciful are the ones that you think that the world's going to step all over them. Blessed are the merciful because they will be taken advantage of. Have you ever noticed how people will twist the Beatitudes? That's because it, it demonstrates that these are the most unlikely group of people we would think to be blessed but in the kingdom of God things change things are possible in the kingdom of heaven that are not possible by our own doing secondly he says God blesses those who work for peace or blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called the children of God honestly If you're living in uh, the day and age of Jesus and you're looking at the Roman Empire, the ones who are blessed are the warriors. The ones who are blessed are the ones with the strongest weapons. The ones who are blessed are the ones with the mightiest army. And you could actually say that again today. But he says that the ones who strive for peace, which calls for risk, which calls for repairing relationships and being involved in reconciliation. They're going to be known as the children of God. These two beatitudes are the basis of this, of this sixth healing choice. And there's two parts to it. So I'm going to ask you, when you work on this, to do the two-step. Yeah, you see, you'll remember this. And uh, yes, we're bringing up dancing again. And... Um, but, but I, I've got two things to say in my defense. Number one, I've seen country two-step. I don't think it's dancing. I mean, the only thing that separates country two-step from a brisk walk is, is uh, the woman twirling around like a ballerina in cowboy boots. That's it. Other than that, I think I get country two-step. It's just this. <laughs> There's nothing else to it. It's all just going on a walk. Um, And we might get better music if we all went on a walk. Anyway, there's two steps to this, though. Oh, and the other thing I'll say in my defense is that if uh, if you're offended by the dancing, then do like Harding and call it choreography, okay? So there we go. But you'll remember this now. Do the two-step. There's two steps to this step. There's two parts of it. First, we forgive those who have hurt you. You forgive those who have hurt you. And and, and by the way, I think this is important, that this is first. Because if we have not taken inventory of that before we take the second move to go make amends, then some of the unforgiven resentments that we're carrying around could leak out into the process of making amends with others. Let's look at these two steps of the two-step. Why forgive? If forgiveness is the first one, well, why? Is it really that necessary? Can't we just move forward? Take a look with me at Colossians 3.13. I want to give you a few reasons here why we ought to forgive. First one is very simple. God has forgiven you. Now, this is a very complicated text, and I want to break it down for you, okay? And I can tell you what this means because I've studied Greek, okay? Now, in verse 13, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, what that means in Greek is, bear with each other and forgive one another, and if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know that's hard to see in the English text, but it's there. there. There's not much elaboration on this. God has forgiven us. Intellectually, this is easy to understand. Emotionally, it might be difficult to accept. Yeah, but, you know, God's, God, it's easy for God to, to forgive, we might say. Okay, maybe it is easier for God. I don't know. I'm not God. But even if it is easier for God to forgive, is that any sort of an excuse for me? No. And besides, what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to become the kind of person who carries around bitterness and anger? Or do I want to be more like God who forgives? I'm going to give you a bonus text. Take a look. Just you know, uh Ephesians and Colossians are, are twins when it comes to the Bible. They, they, they sound a lot alike. They look a lot alike. Go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just As in Christ, God forgave you. So if we say, you know, it's easy for God to forgive. It's hard for me to forgive. All right, how about bitterness, rage, and every form of malice and brawling and slander? How's that working for you? Is it bringing joy to your life? Is it really helping? Or is it just contributing to the hurt in the world? How does holding on to any of that make things better? And if you back up a verse in chapter 4, verse 30, Paul warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we can get very theological and wonder, well, how do you do that? How do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Probably by holding on to things that are very ungodly. That's just my guess, but I bet that's a good way to grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't make room for it if you've got the spirit of bitterness and rage. We ought to forgive because God has first forgiven us. Here's another reason to forgive. Because resentment is useless. I like a little thought exercise. You think about things that we're asked not to do, like don't let the sun set down on your wrath, um, the way we ought to talk, the way we ought to see things. Resentment. Is there anything positive about resentment? Is there anything good about resentment? Now You might think of one later, and I'd be interested in hearing that. But I can tell you, as of this moment, I have not come up with anything good or redeemable about resentment. I think it might be one of the most useless emotions or states of mind to be in, and yet it can be so common. When you're resentful, it's understandable why. It's probably because somebody has hurt you. But when you carry around the resentment of that hurt that was done to you, I mean, when the hurt turns into resentment, rather than something that you uh, deal with, process, reconcile over, when it turns into resentment, you're carrying around a virus. You're carrying around a poison that is only hurting you. One writer has said, it's like drinking rat poison and then hoping the rat will die. Yeah, that's about what it's like. I'm going to tell you a story about my family, and uh, I want to tell it with respect. When my mother was young, and um, it started when I was a teenager and then got a little older, she was trying to make her way back into church and she was unintentionally hurt by someone at church i'm not going to go into the details or tell the story because it's it's meaningless it doesn't matter but she withdrew from the church because of that and i know that that hurt her and she think she thought about those things quite often when I was a little older, I was talking to her about that. She was telling me the story and how much it hurt her. And not because I'm particularly wise, but just because I knew some facts. When she was telling me about this person and how that person hurt her, I said, well, why don't you come back? Because that person is dead. It may not have been the most pastoral thing to say. It may not have been particularly wise, but it was a fact. And I wondered, why do you continue to feel that hurt when the person that did that is dead and gone? I don't know if it helped, but something helped her, and I'm glad and thankful for that. Resentment is useless. And if we hold on to it, then we're, um, we're just we're dealing in something that's going to make us feel even worse. The third reason why we ought to forgive is because letting go is actually victory. It's not defeat. You see, one of the reasons why it's so hard to forgive is because we have this idea among us, and it's sort of ingrained in us, it's especially ingrained in our culture, that if I forgive another person, then I'm giving up. If I forgive another person, then I'm letting them win. And I understand that. Because I feel myself that sometimes if I hold on to it, if I hold on to the resentment and the hurt, then eventually the day will come when I will make them pay. And it never works out that way. Forgiveness is not giving up. Giving up says I can't. Giving up is a type of defeat. It can be. But letting go doesn't say, I can't. Letting go says, I won't. Now think about it. If somebody wants to call you into a fight, if somebody wants to call you into a squabble, if somebody wants to take advantage of you, why are you going to play their game? Why don't you just walk away? One of the lessons that my dad taught me when I was very young is we would go to the the county fair. And you go to the county fair and, you know, you see all the people uh, at the games. Now, I wanted to ride the rides, but here were those games that had all those wonderful prizes. And the guy would show you and he would say, hey, look, all you got to do is take these little metal discs and put them on the circle. See how easy it is? Look, I'll do it again. Look, I'll do it again. And lo and behold, when you try to do it, it doesn't work like that. Look, all you got to do is take this ring, throw it over those bottles. Look, let me show you how it's done. See how easy it is? And it's never that easy for you. Let me show you how to throw this ball into the basket, that basket right over there. I bet you can do it. One dollar, you get three throws, and you try it, and it doesn't work. Dad, let me figure out that all those games are rigged. Mm -hmm. They cheat. And it goes against you. Now, there's no victory being had in me trying to win their rigged games. If you go there and say, I'm going to beat them at their game, you won't, number one. Because the game is designed for you to fail. And you fail how? Not because you don't have enough skill. Not because you don't know how to throw the ring. Not because you can't figure out how to cover the dot with the metal discs. It's because... You failed as soon as you decided to play the game. You're the winner if you say, I won't play it. That's how you win. There's a difference then between failing, giving up, and refusing to play the game, letting go and saying, I won't. Those are three reasons why we ought to forgive. And really, number one is good enough, and the other two are just bonuses. Bonuses. But there's a second part of this. Why should we make amends? We make amends because, first of all, it's a prerequisite to worship. You know, everything that we do in worship is about us coming together and coming together in a spirit of peace. When we sing with one another, by the way, if you go back and you look at the, uh, um, the verses in Ephesians and in Colossians, especially in Colossians, Uh, you forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then in 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you notice that the first function of worshipful singing together was first to teach and admonish one another and then he mentions praising God singing in worship when we come together is not something that that God just wants us to do like a routine every Lord's day oh no it's much more than that it's the way that we express the relationship that we have with God and with one another And isn't it interesting that our worship service embodies not a ritual that we participate in as individuals, but activities that we participate in as a people. Likewise, we partake of a common meal. When Jesus changes the meaning of the Passover to the Lord's Supper, he says, take this, all of you, eat it, drink it, They share in a meal together, and they're sharing in Christ. We share in Christ. At the table, we find amends being made. Now, take a look with me at Matthew 5. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus talks about, uh, well, he, he said, you've heard it said of old, do not murder, but, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus has just identified the seed, the root of murder. He says, let's take care of that. Let's do something about it before it becomes murder. And the story of Cain and Abel is the backdrop to this where Cain lets the sin of anger and jealousy in worship of all things become the flower of murder. Therefore, Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Do we recognize how astounding that statement truly is? You get all ready and dressed up for worship, and you've got your pledge cards and your your checks and everything, and you're ready to make your gift. It's Missions Giving Sunday. And you're, you're here, and then all of a sudden you recognize, you know, it, it dawns on you, I, wait a second, I, I've got this problem with a brother or a sister. Take off. Go deal with that first. Wait, leave worship? Yeah. Jesus says, and Jesus isn't saying that one's a priority over the other. He's not saying that this trumps worship. I mean, we're always looking at reasons, like you know, now can I skip worship if I'm going out to the lake and I'm going to do you know communion? Can we skip worship if we've got this going on? Um, I, God just put it on my heart that He wants me in the woods killing deer. Uh, you know, whatever. We're always looking for reasons. That's not what He's talking about. Jesus is is saying you aren't qualified to worship if you haven't made amends with your brother or sister. As I said, the story of Cain and Abel is in the background here. It's a prerequisite. That's a big word. Do we understand what prerequisites are? This week, Ethan had to get a a transcript from Arkansas Tech University where he took a class. He could not sign up for his classes at University of Arkansas Fort Smith until he was able to show that he had taken that class. It was blocked. No way. He wasn't getting registered. It wasn't happening until they knew that he had taken the prerequisite course. Jesus is saying, you making amends is a prerequisite to good worship. Another reason we make amends is because it's our mission. In 2 Corinthians 5, look at the way Paul describes the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, he um, Paul's describing his mission work, that mission work that Larry was talking about. The people in Romans, they supported that mission work. People gave Paul encouragement. They, they sent him to go out and preach the gospel. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, um, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. Now, wait a second. I thought Paul's business was salvation. I thought Paul's business was preaching salvation. It is. But why use the word reconciliation there? Because for Paul, the gospel cannot be reduced down to a little bit of fire insurance to keep you out of hell. It can't be reduced down to a get-out-of-jail-or-hell free card. That there's something much greater and amazing going on in the gospel. That God's salvation is not just you alone, but it's the salvation of all people. And I know there's much to be praised in the idea of having a personal Savior. I I like that. I like the thought of that. I'm not knocking that, but I want you to know that's just a small part of it. There's so much more. Because God not only wants to save me, He wants to save you. And he wants to save you and your relationship with me. And he wants to save our relationships with one another. And that's why he calls us into a worshipful experience where we sing to one another and encourage one another, where we feast on a common meal together, remembering the reconciliation that he made by the one who had no sin becoming sin for us. Do we not see how this is at the heart of the gospel? It's our mission. To be reconciled with one another. That pleases God. And finally, there is this thing called the golden rule. Which is so simple, but makes such sense. You know, It gets worded in a lot of different ways. It even gets confused and twisted. But the gist of it is, the way... That you treat other people ought to be the way, the same way that you would want them to treat you. And again, the emphasis is on us to act. The message of the golden rule is not, okay, you treat other people like they treat you. Ah, so if they treat me rudely, I get to treat them rudely. No, you behave in a way that you would want people to behave towards you. Even if they don't deserve it? Even if they don't deserve it. Even if they don't act like they appreciate it? Even if they don't act like they appreciate it. In making amends and in working towards reconciliation, church, there's no guarantee that the other parties will respond in kind, but that is still what we do. Throughout time and even today, people reject God's efforts to reconcile them to Him. They reject his gift of salvation, but he still offers it freely. So remember the two-step. Forgive those who've hurt you and make amends with those that you have harmed. Oh, and this will be a process where we definitely need one another. We're going to need one another because you can write it down as simple as that, but it's never going to be just as simple as all that. And besides that, we're going to need some wisdom to get through this. I mean, when we really start realizing what it might take to make amends, and it's worth it, it's important, it matters to God, and it ought to matter to us. But there are some areas of making amends where it's inappropriate or impossible unless doing so causes harm to them or others, or is in some way inappropriate or impossible. You know, the person we need to make amends with, further contact with that person may be impossible. They may have died. They may, it, may, it just may not be possible for other reasons, or it may be very inappropriate. Not only could it hurt them, but it could hurt other people that we love. And again, it's going to take wisdom, and it's going to take the counsel of loving people, who surround us to help us with this. But when we can make things right and when we have the courage to do so, then we are participating in God's mission of mercy and peacemaking. Yesterday was Veterans Day and we recognize veterans. Veterans in the service of their country work and even fight and are even willing to sacrifice for the hope of a peaceful world. Can we as the people of the kingdom of God do any less? I think not. Would you pray with me? Father, give us the courage to be merciful. The courage to be peacemakers. And Father, would you correct us and cleanse us from the ungodly spirits of bitterness And rage, anger, slander, fighting, quarreling. For these things hurt others, and these things hurt us. Father, instead, give us more and more desire to cultivate the Spirit among us. So that we can encourage one another, teach one another, dream of possibilities and hope of healed relationships. So, Father, give us the courage to forgive because we know that you have forgiven us. Give us the courage to make amends because we know this pleases you. And give us wisdom that we might help one another in this daily. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you the opportunity if you need any help or any encouragement, being forgiven forgiving others, or making amends. Let, let, let's stand and sing this song, and let's, uh, let's make things right as we go out today.